how do we communicate the solutions that we're that we're coming up with that we've got in roadmaps how do we communicate that to the rest of the organization so that they understand a couple of different things one the value to the company um, the the messaging that needs to be put in place in order to communicate it correctly out to the organization you're listening to sunny side up a b2b podcast that brings you the juiciest insights from go-to-market leaders and practitioners Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Sunny Side Up podcast. I'm your host today, Rob Hall. Today, I am super excited to be able to talk to Paul Williams on the topic of evolving the concept of a smart home. Paul Williams is a visionary leader with a proven track record of leading organizations to high growth results through building teams with clear objectives in support of the overall vision. Paul's career spans startups to Fortune 500 companies. Paul joined Anice North America here in 2022, where he presently serves as the chief product officer. In this role, he leads product management teams and develops the product roadmap across all of the brands underneath Anice. Paul excels at aligning real-world problems and anticipating customer needs to create unique and innovative solutions. Paul previously served as GE Lighting's GM of product management and growth, where he was charged with reimagining lighting solutions. In three years, Paul's team created a DIY smart home ecosystem with innovative products and scaled the consumer mobile app, taking it from just 30,000 users to more than 2 million. During his 14 plus years of executive leadership at Control4, a manufacturer of smart home solutions, he was instrumental in building the company from a startup to IPO with double digit year over year growth. Paul holds a Bachelor of Science in Business Administration from Southern New Hampshire University, where he graduated summa cum laude. Paul, incredibly excited to talk to you today. Welcome to the show. Rob, it's a real pleasure to be here as well. Thank you for having me on the show. I love it. Well, I gave the uh, the 30,000 foot overview. Of course, this topic today that we're speaking about is um, the smart home and really evolving the concept of what is genuinely a smart home. So I'd love to pass the mic over to you to help explain to our listeners today what you see the difference between a smart home and a connected home. Yeah, it's a good question. It comes up uh, quite a bit as, as consumers start their journey into the smart home. And I've been part of the smart home journey for nearly two decades here. So I've seen it kind of from its infancy um, through where it's at today. And we've still got a long way to go, quite frankly. But the interesting part is we look at, at what consumers have in their home. In fact, if, if we went out and we asked consumers, do you have a smart home? You'll get some interesting answers back. You'll get some folks that say, yes, I have a smart home. And then when you peel back the onion a little bit to understand, well, what do you have in your home? You'll typically hear, oh, I've got a smart thermostat or I've got a smart doorbell um, or I even have just an Alexa in the home or, or I've got a Google Assistant in the home. And that, that to them represents the smart home. And, and I think those are smart devices for sure. In fact, they are and they're connected devices. But there's, there is a difference between connected homes and smart homes. And connected homes allow you to have control. I can use an app that's provided by that equipment or that product manufacturer to be able to control it. And I can do that both in the home and usually outside of the home as well with modern cloud technology so that I can access that. And for instance, on a smart thermostat, uh, change the temperature while I'm in Azerbaijan from uh, Salt Lake City to Azerbaijan in three seconds. Right. So pretty cool to be able to have that kind of control. And, and that is great. It's fantastic. I think it helps consumers. But a smart home is much more. A smart home is a thing that brings different products, different solutions together to provide an experience for the consumer so that you can unlock certain things like, you know, as I come home, the home itself turns on the lighting in the home if it's a nighttime hour. So I never have to come home to a dark home ever again. 
or provides a more safe and secure environment for the consumer through different different uh, possibilities of bringing these products together in solutions. And, and for me, the smart home is, is using multiple pieces of technology to provide an experience. It's not just the control part of it, which is I can open up an app or I can push a button and turn something on, turn something off. I love it. I think it's a, a really clear delineation of having that connected home with a couple of um, connected smart devices, but really the difference is scaling that enormously into what you would define as that smart home, really learning about the um, the property owner, for example, of the example you gave of when they come home at night and turning on the lights for them, as opposed to waiting for like that app connectivity. I think when we think about this concept of a smart home, um, there's a lot of perceptions in the marketplace. And I'm curious from a lot of the industry research and just market research, some of the customer interviews that you may have done, what are some of the more common perceptions from the general consumer when it comes to this term smart home? Well, well, first of all, it's it's been overused. I even I, I hate using it myself just because it it's prevalent everywhere. You see it in in blogs and online and in marketing and even in commercials that get presented to you now. And and so the term gets overused a lot, and it's hard to for a consumer to be able to to understand what that means. The next thing that's interesting from the market research that that I've done in the past is that as you ask a consumer, do you want a smart home? Uh, it's interesting that most of the time you get an answer back is no, my, my home's perfectly okay. I've lived in it for the last 10 years or 15 years and it's it's fine. It does everything I need it to do. Um, and so it's, it's getting over this conception of this Jetsons space age thing that doesn't have any value to me. Um, it's not gonna provide anything. I'm gonna spend extra money. It's gonna be complex. It's gonna be hard. That's the other perceptions out there is it's hard and it's complicated. It takes a lot of money. It's expensive and it's not going to provide any real value to me. So, no, I don't need smart home. And it's only when you start to, to get back to what I was mentioning earlier, which is these experiences where it's that if we can return 10 more minutes a day, even 15 or 20 more minutes of, of, day, of the day back to a busy family for them to enjoy the time together or to help a family feel more safe and secure in their home or to be able to save them on energy costs, which is a big thing today, obviously, that's been going on re in recent trends here. But if we can do those things, then you start to ask the question, do you want to save money in your, in your home? Do you want to feel more safe, secure in your home? Would you like to have an experience where the home's taking care of you? The, the preponderance of those, those questions, the answer is yes. But if you start with, do you want a smart home? You don't get the response that, that consumers are willing to accept. It's only when you start to think about these really cool value propositions for consumers that they start to get interested in what that might be. And smart home becomes the delivery mechanism for providing those experiences. Certainly. I love almost that that reframe of, do you want a smart home? Well, there's a million different ways to answer that question, but do you want to save money on your energy bill? Do you want to have more time with family and your loved ones, or just more time to relax for people that maybe are living on their own? Um, I love that reframe of getting away from um, just that definition of a smart home and relying on their own definition, which may not be the way that you define it, but really getting into the outcome, which I think we can all relate to and resonate with. Correct. And I think that's that's key for the for marketing messages. And that's one of the things we've tried to do. We're trying to do with our marketing messages really key key in on not the technology, but onto the experience. I love that. Something you mentioned um, to my initial question was you mentioned there's a long way to go for the smart home. Uh, you kind of gave the example of this Jetsons-esque picture of automatic cell serve and everything's done at a whim and the flying spaceship and all the fun cartoon visuals that get associated with the Jetsons. 
Um, and obviously your immediate focus is really improving that experience. But I'm curious, when you say there's a long way to go for the smart home, where do you see some of the low-hanging fruit in the category that people can see in the next several years or could anticipate being a part of their residence? That's a really good question. It's one of the things that I've spent a lot of time thinking, we continue to spend a lot of time thinking about is where's the future of, of the connected or smart home going? And, and it's really heading towards this place where technology now has caught up with our what we need in order to provide the following, which is really a contextually aware home. Um, really, the, the ultimate smart home is one where I don't have to like program it. I don't have to, I don't have to think about what I'm doing. It, it knows what I want and then anticipates those needs and then reacts to those needs accordingly based on conditions or events or times of day or different things that are happening. And we're getting to the point now where we can start to, to think about how we would deliver that contextually aware home, meaning that, you know, Rob works in, walks into the room when you walk in, um, you, uh, if it's during a nighttime hour, um, that you like the lighting at this level and you like it at this, at this, uh, CCT level. So that you like this color of light and that you listen to, um, we'll, we'll go with the gangster rap. That's what I'm going <laughs> to Rob, see if that's where you're at, but it's gangster rap when you walk into the room by yourself. But if somebody else walks in the room and we can identify who that person is, that something else happens. Maybe it's soft jazz that gets played and their lighting changes dramatically and the temperature changes in the room. There's things we can do that, that we'll be able to do once we understand what's going on in the home. And that in, inferred in there is that we know where Rob is. We know where you're at. We know what time of day it is. We know we've learned behaviors. We learned that over time, Rob likes this. We've made suggestions back to that, to Rob about the things that could happen in their home. But ultimately we want to let, we want to make sure the consumer is in control. What people don't want are the science fiction version of the smart home where it takes control and you're locked inside and, and Hal won't open the pod bay doors for you. We don't want that experience. We want the experience where it, it works and it, it moves to our needs and wants. And we're not too far off, honestly, as, as an industry being able to provide that type of experience. And it'll start small. It'll start with, you know, what are the things that, that are critical to um, or for you in the home? And it could be just temperature and lighting control in particular. But uh, it will expand dramatically beyond that to some of these creature feature functions of you know, what I'm watching and what I'm listening to and how I'm listening to it. And, and the complexity of it's me and there, it's me in the space. But if me and my wife are in the space at the same time, the following thing happens. If me and a bunch of unidentified folks are in the space, what happens? It must, am I in a party mode? If I'm in party mode, does something else happen by itself? And, and having this, this experience, I think is where we start to get some really cool things that can happen. And not just for those, those kind of fun kind of elements, but for things that, including like energy management and for security, you know, if we know that um, no one is in the space, um, it also, it, the home should be in a secure mode. It should be in an armed mode. Unfortunately, a lot of people pay today, uh, pay for monitoring systems that that don't get turned on when they should get turned on. In fact, um, you, you'd be kind of uh, amazed at how little or at what percentage of the time an alarm system is armed when it should be armed, that it's not armed. It's actually a pretty high, that's a high number. Um, of, of amount of time that a system's not armed. And there's various reasons for that. They forget, people forget, people are nervous about it. But man, if we can make that house know that no one's in there in the home and then be able to place itself in an arm mode automatically, even if I'm just running down the block to the store to have it armed during that time, 10 minutes I'm gone. But when I come back, it knows it's me. And so it automatically disarms or it knows it's a family member. It automatically disarms or alerts somebody if somebody enters a home that's not supposed to be there. Those are almost magical kind of outcomes 
uh, for consumers where I don't need to think about arming and disarming a security system. I think those are valuable use cases that, that will provide a pretty cool experience for consumers. And I think it's also, I mean, it's, it's super cool to hear not just what's on the horizon, but also your passion for it because it, it just builds up this, this interest of this uh, augmented experience while I'm at home with less effort indicated of turning on my gangster app and setting the lighting as in whatever it needs to be. Um, obviously, it, it, it speaks to one of Pavlov's needs of security, home security, and having that in an automated capacity to where you don't have to worry about if you uh, left the stove on or if you armed your individual security system. And of course, the, the energy conservation that you've touched on a few times, just with a lot of the uh, items going on from a macro level. Some of the challenges that are associated with that, we, we've touched on a few that I've captured at least, and it sounds like consumer expectations, right, of really what is a, a smart home versus what in reality is a connected device. Um, perhaps what you just touched on, some some faulty assumptions from movies and, and you know horror shows, things along those lines. But I'm curious from your perspective, what other challenges have you seen either in the space, other challenges that you personally have run into as we're thinking about scaling the adoption of really what is a smart home and having it generally available? Yeah, I think there's a, there's a couple of things that have changed dramatically, in the, certainly in the last two or three years. And, and the first and foremost of that has been cost. Um, the cost of these smart devices and putting them in their home has, has been somewhat cost prohibitive for, for I would say, mass market adoption. Um, and so really has had, had uh, more of the adoption happen in the luxury and ultra and Uber luxury space uh, because of the folks that could have could afford the types of solutions we're talking about. That's changed dramatically, like I said, over the last couple of years. And there are now many affordable options out there for these devices and for these solutions in particular uh, to be able to bring in the home. So I think that's the first, the first thing, the first barrier. The second barrier, which we this is one of the areas I'll also put in kind of some of the way the uh, uh, ways to go. When I said we've got a little ways to go on the smart home, is in the ease of deployment, ease of development, and putting that into place for a consumer. Um, it, unfortunately, some of these solutions are still uh, not for the faint of heart. Require a little bit of, of technical knowledge in order for you to to get them set up and to get them functioning the way that you'd want to as a consumer. And for a, a lot of consumers, we see. Uh, as we look at some of these technologies out there, that that, that sometimes becomes a, a step too far. Um, they try it and they go, oh, may, may way, way above my my capability right now. And the return rate ends up being pretty high at those re for retail solutions that are out there today. But I also believe that's changing dramatically. Um, and that's another area where, where I believe that the things I was talking about here, which is this this aware, contextually aware, and it's really at the end of the day, another well-used term is artificial intelligence or machine learning. Mm. I try to avoid those two terms as well, just because they get overused, and 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 they also connote these these crazy things about, you know, HAL nine thousand and uh, you know Skylink and all the other the Skylab or whatever the one was from uh, Terminator. Um, we're far from that, to be quite honest. But the the thing is that we're finally starting to get to solutions though that are easier to install and and AI does play into that. You know, if the system, if I all I need to do is get that device connected and then it can start to configure itself based on what I'm doing with it or my interaction with it, we start to get to a place where I don't have to open up complex programming. I don't have to think about conditional programming. If this happens, then this happens, and then that happens because this happens. It makes it way simpler for consumers to be able to uh, to get that to happen. We're also starting to see some things. Uh, there's an initiative called Matter. Many of the listeners uh, may have heard about this as well. It's a uh, protocol platform, really, 
that allows multiple protocols to work on it for a communication uh, portfolio for us to be able to uh, connect devices more simply into ecosystems like the one we manufacture for NICE North America and for NICE as a whole, uh, but also others that are out there as well and on Alexa and Google and, and Apple and the Siri platform. And so there is um, there's some, some help coming to help these devices become simpler to integrate. But I think that's the other barrier is it's been a little hard for consumers to get these things to work the way they want them to. Um, they, they hear about the way that it should work, they bring it home and they don't get the same experience because it's a little, little too complex for them. And that's changing rapidly well, as well. Super cool. So overall becoming a lot more economical to deploy these sorts of um, devices into their home. Uh, overall, just the ease of actually then installing it, one piece of just affordability, but then the ability to actually benefit from it. And kind of that last piece that took away is just the simplicity of setting it up. You don't need to be some sort of technical guru to create this sort of contextualized home and this experience that you're going through with you. Um, I love it. I love the way you spun it as well. The other thing that I'm always really curious, especially when I get the opportunity to speak to a, a product executive like yourself is... Um, I think from the product executive perspective, there's typically one of two conceptions. One is they are stuck behind a desk with paper stacked everywhere. And the other perception is they're always customer facing, trying to get as much feedback as possible. And of course, I think in reality, it's probably a, a blend somewhere between that spectrum. But also really specifically is the partnership that you have to have with other departments at NICE or in, in, at the wider organization as a whole, which I think everybody will be able to resonate with is as you're finding the balance in that spectrum, how are you communicating with other stakeholders within the organization for product iterations, for product messaging, for go-to-market strategy? I think product is having an increasingly focal point in a company's go-to-market motion. So I'd love to hear how you've been able to balance it with some of the context of NICE's acquisition of Nortech, a couple of other moving pieces, how you've been able to really balance all of these pieces on your plate to have a really effective go-to-market strategy. Rob, that's a, that's a very good question. And I'll start by kind of a change in what we've seen happen with product in organizations. And if we step back, you know, five, 10 years ago, it was very common that, that product, product management, product leadership would either be in one of two areas in the company. It would either be within the, the R&D part of the organization. So reporting into some engineering head within the, within the organization or reporting into marketing. So it have like the product marketing and the product uh, management teams that would be within those two groups. And that's typically how we then saw it. And then that then executive team would would they be one layer below that executive team? And what we've seen, and that's you know my role here at Nice North America and also in other companies uh, around the planet, we've seen that that product role get highlighted and brought up to have full, you know, full table seat at the executive level. And the reason for that has become incredibly important to understand the role of product and how it drives the organization. And so the, that's a great thing to have. It's, it's, it's something I've watched happen with, uh, with enthusiasm, obviously, for my current position. Um, and it's an exciting day for product folks to, because there is that, that uh, career path, so to speak, that's there in place. Uh, when it comes to interacting with the, uh, with the other parts of that, and, and now with that, that seat comes responsibility. And that responsibility for the organization is how do we communicate the solutions that we're that we're coming up with that we've got in roadmaps? How do we communicate that to the rest of the organization so that they understand a couple of different things? One, the value to the company, um, the the messaging that needs to be put in place in order to communicate it correctly out to the organization. How do we then position it, and then how do we sell it 
and 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 goes into even even deeper into how do we even manufacture it in the first place? How does it get brought to market? How do we deliver? It? What's the supply chain look like? And product management has had to and and has to be a part of all of that inner working in order for us to deliver a solution. Starts out a product concept, as you mentioned. Um, I don't like to to sit behind a desk with lots of paper stacked up. I like to spend time in the field. Um, and there's a happy balance that you need to do in, in figuring out what it takes to get a product and a solution through the process. But I love spending time with customers because, and I and I force all of my team, it's one of my requirements for product managers, they're required once a quarter to get out in the field and spend time in front of customers to understand how they're using our solutions and, and competitive solutions and what they like, what they don't like, what are things they would like to have happen, how do they think that technology could help their lives. And we take that as input into the process, and it's a necessary part of that. We start off with that part of the process. We get it into the R&D communications. So then it comes into specs and detail around what does it need to do? What are the specifications it needs to have? That's an iterative process. And that's also why it's important for us to have a full seat at the table because there is give and take when it comes to development. There's some things we go, hey, we'd love for it to be able to do this. And our engineering teams may come back and say, well, that's great. <laughs> I can't quite do that, but I can do this. Will that work? And so there's always this give and take and compromise that goes back and forth. And even that in, in that process, engineering will come up with some great ideas to go. Now that I understand your vision, and that's also what's really important is, is communicating that vision. Now I understand the vision. Hey, I've got a great idea. What if we did this? And you'll often find if we can go through that process, we end up with actually a, a much better product than we even thought we were going to start at the very beginning because that vision has been communicated through the organization. So R&D needs to understand it. We then start the wheels in motion with having our marketing organizations understand, hey, we've got this timeline. This is where this thing's coming. That then starts to back up as you start to look at a timeline to go, okay, that means at this stage right here, we need to start thinking about packaging and in, in uh, app material. And what are we going to do on the website? What are we going to communicate? What's the launch plan? Is there a press release that comes out because of this product? Let's get all that stuff in place so that we're ready for that launch. And then beyond that is like, well, then what is the marketing message to the consumer? What is the marketing message to our partners that are out there in the world and be able to get that to happen? Simultaneously, we're working with the supply chain folks to say, all right, let's let's get this thing built. Um, once it's once it's uh, in through development, how do we how do we get this thing to be shepherded through that supply chain process? Which in today's environment has has been a very complex part of a, of all organizations with the components shortages and the other supply chain issues that we've seen globally, um, that's become you know several full-time jobs just trying to keep that in, in play and keeping that, uh, that, those plates spinning there as we move forward. And then as we get into launch, it, it then turns into, all right, what's the aftermarket support? How do we work with our tech support uh, departments and our deployment technology uh, partners to make sure that it's supported correctly? And then the selling part of the organization, which is, you know, how do we make sure that we're being positioned correctly? How do we make sure that our sales team knows exactly what the value propositions are? What are the stories they need to tell? What are the value propositions so that the consumer is, is positioned correctly with that product? And then the finance people, you know, how are we going to collect the money? What's the, what are the, or what's the ROI look like? And how are we, how are we looking over time as we look at the profitability of a, of a solution and a product to the market? So it's very complex. And that is rinse, rinse and repeat. It just goes over and over and over and over again for us. I was going to make a, a, a joke of it sounds so simple, but you took it away by saying how complex it. I mean, you gave the example of um, all of these plates spinning up in the air and, and keeping them balanced. I mean, I'm almost envisioning like this octopus of sorts with everything that you're describing and the, the necessary skills that are required of you and your team across 
I mean, I heard project management, communication, um, technical know-how, actually, and the ability to communicate upwards of how else to augment that product and that vision that you came to them with. And of course, the, the business and the commercial viability um, for that latter half of what you were describing. It's, uh, it's fascinating to me. And I, I want to defer to you on how to best answer my next question, because it's such a jack of all trades type of position from what I'm hearing. I guess I'll defer to you on how to best answer it, but I'm curious when you are interviewing talent for NICE, is there anything in particular, I guess a, a wide array of skills and talents and natural aptitudes that you are looking for or the, the alternative way that I'll lean on you to choose how you want to answer is when you were first getting in and identifying that this could be a really viable career path for you, what about it stood out and excited you so much about the opportunity? So I'll start with kind of my journey. The thing that, that excites me and has always excited me about the, you know, the product part of the organization and driving product uh, direction has been, I love solving problems. You have to be a problem solver. If you are um, in, this, in this product leadership, product management role, you have to be thinking about how do I solve problems? And the other part about it is, is I love that I know we can put real solutions into place that really help people's lives. And, and that could be, it, you know, we're not solving world hunger or anything like that, but it could be, you know what, I just made it so much easier for somebody at the end of a really busy day to sit down and relax and to listen to what they want to listen to or to watch what they want to watch or to have the home be more comfortable. It can be that simple all the way to the experiences we talked about earlier, which is making that family feel more safe and secure in their home. And I really am motivated by having that customer have just such an awesome experience with the technologies that we're providing that really allow them to have that kind of experience in their own home and in their own lives. And I love that part of it. So problem solving is a key attribute that I look for as we bring talent in, as we talk to people. With what we're doing, a technical background is, is incredibly helpful and important. Understanding technology, because if I hear a problem that's out there uh, that someone's having, a consumer's having, or, or something they may not even know they're having that problem, but we identify it as a problem, then to get to the solution, we need to, we need to know what are ways we might be able to solve that. And having that technical background is important because I need to know what kind of technology I might be able to utilize in order to be able to provide that. Is, is it even possible today? I can't do teleportation. That doesn't exist yet. So I at least need to understand what's available and not available today. And then the other part of that is you have to have a really good business sense. Uh, a big part of, of the product leadership and product management roles of today are business roles. Um, you are business leaders. You need to understand uh, P&Ls. You need to understand what the profitability of a product or a solution may be. You need to understand, you know, what are the, the different metrics that get implied from a financial perspective to make sure we're making the right decisions for a company. Um, I haven't, I've yet to work for a company where the, the wants are not as higher than the availability of what we can actually do. And so it always comes down to how are we going to prioritize? What are we going to use? What are, how are we best using the investment resources we have today um, to be able to get the most return on what we're putting into that? Because there is the business part of being a viable business that we need to make sure we're profitable. And so our, our product leaders really need to be thinking about that part of it as well. It's not just the solutions and the products, but are we making the right decisions for the company as a whole? That's fascinating. I, I love hearing about the, I mean, the way that you describe it makes it sound so simple, but in practicality, I imagine it's the farthest thing from it with how 
many moving pieces and the complexity of everything that's going on. And it's not just for a singular product. Nice's product portfolio um, is rather expansive, but you've been able to manage it and communicate it in a way that just appears so simple as a part of just the process that you've rolled out, which I absolutely love. Something else that stuck out to me from the beginning of the conversation, you had spoken around um, some of the challenges that we're historically facing with the commercial viability and just um, this this concept of a smart home was almost locked to the uh, like the ultra wealthy that could really afford this um, wide, expansive, connected home as a smart home. In terms of today's market, acknowledging that things are becoming more cost viable, it's becoming a lot simpler to use. Uh, much easier to adopt in terms of the macro approach right now with all of the uncertainty that's going on. I'm curious how that's factoring into some of your decisions around prioritization and deprioritization of specific products and initiatives for NICE. Yeah, it certainly factors in. Um, in today's economic situation here, their disposable income, as I, I think it's no secret, has gone down significantly for, for a lot of Americans today. Certainly North America. And I, I'll even expand that to worldwide. We're seeing that that same affect worldwide. And so it, it affects how we think about, you know, what are the things that are valuable to consumers for now and certainly in the immediate future here. But we also think out a little further, we're, we have to be out in kind of that three and five year time frame as well. But in the immediate time frame here, what are the products and solutions that are going to be valuable to a consumer today? And today, the things that really are going to speak to them are things around what are my energy? How do I conserve energy? How do I keep the costs of, of maintaining my home down? What are the things I can do to be living more safely and securely in the home? What are the things that are, are going to allow me to live more healthily in my home from a health and wellness perspective? And those things uh, we have found, and as we look at the, the data that's out there, people are willing to expand some amount of investment into those types of categories because they have return on today and they're valuable in today's climate and today's in, environment of the things that, that speak to them of importance in their lives. And so those are the things that we think about as we talk about today's climate uh, when it comes to economics and other factors that are out there. I love it. So tuning into the consumer expectations, again, going back to what you were saying earlier, really staying tuned in of what are their expectations? How can we adopt to it? I love that being so tuned in. Um, we're winding down on today's interview, Paul. I've, I've really enjoyed it. I always love to ask our guests um, in terms of content that they really appreciate. Is there a recent book, a, a podcast episode itself, maybe a, a website or a newsletter that you find yourself tuning into rather frequently that you would recommend to our audience? Yeah, I would. Uh, there's a there's a great one that I think just does a great overall. Um, it's Stacy on IoT, and it's S T A C E Y. Um, on iot onio.com and she has a blog and she has a podcast and and she does a really good job of taking technology and boiling it down to a, a to like consumable bits so that you can understand what is the technology what are the products that are out there she does a great job of reviewing new solutions and new products and even solving problems for consumers out there and so i find it it's a really good place to kind of just get an overall feel for the smart home and what's happening and the products that are out there and what's happening in the, uh, um, not only there, but from manufacturers per, per point of view, what's happening in the world of the smart home. So I find it to be very useful. Very cool. I haven't heard of that one before. I want to check it out after uh, today's recording. Um, similarly, always like to ask our guests, um, especially after interviewing Mark and given the so kind recommendation to bring you on the show. Curious if there's any members of your network that you would recommend us bringing onto the show uh, coming out of today's conversation. Yeah, you bet. There's there uh, Elizabeth Parks. Uh, she's the president of Parks Associates, and they are a provider of of uh, data for industry data for uh, research on the smart home. Uh, one of the areas of focus that they have, 
And her organization does such a great job of understanding current climate of consumer demand, uh, what people are interested in, the things they're not interested in, uh, their motivators, their demotivators. Um, she and her organization just do a fantastic job. And I think you'd find and your listeners would find a great valuing hearing from her, um, even current trends that they're, they're looking at today. Absolutely. I'll have to take you up on it. Well, cool. Winding down, uh, last question for you. What would be the easiest way for some of the audience members that feel so compelled to uh, reach out to you following today's uh, podcast? What's the easiest way to get in contact with you? So the easiest way for them to get in contact me would be email. It's p.williams at niceforyou.com. All spelled out N-I-C-E-F-O-R-Y-O-U.com. And that's the easiest way for folks to get in, in touch with us. If they want to find out more about what we're doing, they can go to niceforyou.com. And that will give them a good feeling for what we're doing as a nice corporation worldwide. Fantastic. Paul, today's conversation has been so interesting, so fascinating to me. I absolutely appreciate your perspective and the way that you can so eloquently and simply communicate everything that's going on behind the scenes to create this uh, this smart home that I feel like eludes so many individuals. So um, such an enjoyable conversation, Paul. Thank you so much for joining us here today on the Sunny Side Up podcast. Rob, it's been a great pleasure. Thank you for having me on the show. Absolutely. Today's episode is made possible by Demandbase. Demandbase is smarter GTM for B2B brands to help marketing and sales teams spot the juiciest opportunities earlier and progress them faster. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Sunny Side Up. If you liked what you heard, please rate and review us and subscribe to our show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you consume podcasts. You can also find us on YouTube and Demand Based TV.